Well, we're in Mark's Gospel, so let's consider Mark chapter 15. I'm going to read from Mark 15, verse 1 to 15. Let's all stand to hear God's word as we think of the trials of Jesus. Mark 15, 1 to 15. Early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation. And binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, It is as you say. The chief priest began to accuse him harshly, and then Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began to ask him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered and saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was well aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. Answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what do I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him. But Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. God bless his word as we consider that just in a moment. Please be seated. <coughs> Let's come to God in prayer. Father, now as we turn to your word, particularly as we think of the crucifixion as the, all the events leading up to the cross, and most importantly the resurrection, we thank you that all of this is recorded in your word that you've told us exactly what happened and we know that it is food for our souls we thank you Father that you enrich us spiritually by the power of your word in our lives therefore we pray again that you will open our hearts to understanding and indeed application of your word in our lives and that you'll open my mouth to speak your word for your glory Amen So in that passage there in Mark 15 verse 1 to 15 we meet a, a character by the name of Pilate, Pontius Pilate. One of those names that has a bit of a ring of infamy about it, such as uh, Judas or Annas, Caiaphas or Herod. All these are infamous, um, you could say evil, characters in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So all part of the backdrop that's really set really against the, the glorious um, shining glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of them, all of these men tried to use their power, their position, their influence to bring Jesus to his end. And humanly speaking, they are, well, I suppose you could call them co-conspirators who finally accomplished the execution of Jesus. However, divinely speaking, God, God the Father, is the true power the true influence who brings his own son to the cross. The only reason that Jesus went to the cross was because God the Father willed it. Because Jesus willed it. Because it was meant to be. God the Father, therefore, is the one 
who crucified Jesus. God the Father. Because if he hadn't, nobody else could have. If Jesus didn't want to be crucified, he could have called down, as he himself said, a myriad of angels. Or he could have just got down from the cross himself. Or he could have just made sure they never put him on the cross. But he went to the cross. He wanted to be crucified. And he wanted to be crucified for you. He was pleased to go to that cross as a substitutionary sacrifice on your behalf. The Bible makes that crystal clear. Peter gives testimony to that in his sermon on the day of Pentecost recorded in Acts 2 verse 22 to 23. He says, you crucified him. He's talking to the Jews. He said, you crucified him. Yes, but it was by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God. You actually did it, but only because God willed it. And while there was human responsibility, God the Father is the one who accomplished the death of his son, Jesus Christ. It was due to his will, in his time, and his saving purpose, as he makes clear in the Bible. The irony is, of course, that Judas, from a viewpoint of man, has an immense amount of responsibility in the betrayal of Jesus. Annas follows that up with a death sentence. Caiaphas has his part. Herod plays a role. And Pilate is the one who finally passes the sentence. But the truth of the matter, as I say, none of them were really the cause of judgment on Jesus Christ. It's actually the opposite. He judged them. Judas thought he rendered a verdict on Christ, but actually Judas sold himself, not Christ. Annas and Caiaphas thought that they sat in judgment on Jesus. Herod thought that he did. But the truth of the matter is Jesus actually sat in judgment on them. And here we see Pilate. And it's not... Jesus before Pilate, I had on the notice board outside, actually, it's Pilate before Jesus. That's what's really going on here. It looks to all the world that Jesus is before Pilate. No, Pilate was actually before Jesus. That's what's going on. And all the verdicts on Jesus here, these men condemned themselves in their verdicts, as every Christ rejecter does. So here's the account of the final player in this uh, rogues gallery, if you like, this man called Pilate, a tragic self-serving coward, he was a coward, he was on trial for his own life, his own career, but most importantly his own eternal destiny and he stood before Jesus because in verse 12 we find the ultimate question that every person who's ever lived or ever will live has to answer the ultimate question that is what shall I do with him who is called the king of the Jews what shall I do with him who is called the king of the Jews what shall I do with Jesus that is the ultimate question that determines your and everyone else's eternal destiny your eternal destiny everyone's eternal destiny is based on how they answer that question now remember the Jewish leaders who made up the Sanhedrin desperately, desperately wanted Jesus dead they really hated him it's Passover week so many, many Jews have come from the surrounding areas, indeed from some surrounding countries, to Jerusalem. Now, they don't want to arrest Jesus in the daylight. Because the religious leaders think that if they do that, the crowds might rise up. Remember, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the Monday. And what was the reaction of the crowds? Well, they hailed him as the Messiah. They said, Hosanna to the son of David. He's been healing them. He's been feeding them. He's been raising people from the dead. They thought, oh great, fantastic. So the Sanhedrin, they saw that. And they're thinking to themselves, well, we want him dead. 
we're going to kill him but we've got to do it quietly we don't want to upset the people they obviously like him they obviously think he's great at the moment so we've got to do it at night but, but how? they can't arrest Jesus in full view of the massive crowds remember it's Passover Jerusalem is as packed as it's possible to be packed so they've got a problem however Judas solves their problem since Judas remember has arrived with the twelve on Saturday he's been looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus he goes to the chief priests he negotiates 30 pieces of silver which is the price of a slave and now he's looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus he couldn't pull it off until after the Passover meal he'd have loved to have done it before but he can't but when they have that meal together suddenly he has an opportunity it's night time he knows that Jesus is going to get the garden of Gethsemane he knows that it will be dark remember there were no street lights in these days you might have a torch not a torch with an electric switch by the way just a stick that was on fire at one end and that was as, probably as good as you got perhaps you might carry around a little lamp not so easy to carry around so most places on a night time were really dark pitch black a darkness that we don't really appreciate because we have all the lights and all the street lights and so on but now Judas has his chance and in that upper room Jesus exposed Judas Satan entered Judas and Jesus said what are you going to go do go and do it quickly so after midnight on the Thursday night Jesus and the eleven are in the garden of Gethsemane private garden probably owned by one of Jesus followers they were there to pray well Jesus was there to pray he told them to pray but they didn't pray they kept falling asleep Judas knew where they were he knew the garden had been there many times before and the rest of the city were asleep then suddenly up to a thousand people men mostly probably exclusively come to arrest Jesus and you wonder why I mean a Roman cohort would have up to 600 soldiers and then he'd have the temple police and then the others so why with all these swords why with all these clubs well again just to remind you they were afraid they were afraid that if the crowds found out they could have a riot on their hands now as you know that doesn't happen because the crowds don't find out it's dark they grab Jesus and immediately take him first of all to Annas as we saw last week and then to Caiaphas there's this mock trial before Annas looking for some desperately looking for some crime against Rome because that's what they're hoping for the Romans to get him but they can't find one so Annas sort of gives up he passes him on to his son-in-law Caiaphas who is actually the high priest false witnesses are bribed the testimony is inconsistent it's incoherent even and finally they decide to accuse Jesus of blasphemy because he said he's the son of God they can't find anything else but they know he said he's the son of God so they say yes that's blasphemy and if Jesus was any other man that actually would be blasphemy and the penalty in those days for blasphemy was indeed death so if Jesus wasn't the son of God he should have been crucified according to their law at that time but he is the son of God so he hadn't blasphemed it was true the trial ends at 3 o'clock in the morning the same time that Peter's denials end so from 3 till about 5 in the morning Jesus is held prisoner he's mocked by the Jews who have custody he's spat on, beaten, slapped, blasphemed and 5 o'clock was when the sun rose 
Now the Sanhedrin knew that all that they'd done was illegal because they'd done it at night. So what they do, as soon as the sun rises, they just do it again quickly, just to make it look as if it's legal. So they held this mock trial to make it look legal. It's actually recorded in Luke 22, verse 66 to 71. At this point the Jewish part's done, but they have to bring the Romans in. And that's why we see them binding Jesus here in verse 1 and leading away to Pilate. Now why, you might ask, do they have to involve the Romans? Well, John tells us in John 18, verse 31, they said, because we are not permitted to put anyone to death. You see, the Romans were the occupiers, and the power of execution belonged only to Rome in all of its occupied countries. So the Jews were not allowed to put people to death. It had to be the Romans. Now you might think, hang on, didn't they stone Stephen? Yes, in Acts chapter 7. But that wasn't legal. That was a mob violent act. They tried to do the same to Paul on a number of occasions, although they didn't manage to do it to Paul. These were mob acts, they were not the result of a legal process. And often the Romans would actually turn a blind eye to such acts. If the Jews were accusing somebody of a religious crime, the Romans were not even interested in religious crimes. The Romans didn't care what the Jews believed or what they didn't believe, and if the Jews had some religious accusation, sometimes they would turn a blind eye to some mob violence when the Jews would stone somebody, although it wasn't actually legal. But technically the Jews had no right to execution, no right to kill, only the Romans had the right. So the religious leaders they didn't want to resort to mob violence because they were again worried about the crowds. And also they wanted to get the responsibility off their own backs. They wanted to get permission from Rome. In fact they wanted the Romans to do the execution. Then if there was any comeback from the crowds, the Jews, the religious leaders could say, well, we didn't do it. I mean it was the Romans. The Romans actually killed him. So it would let them off the hook. Now this fits with scripture because Jews executed Stephen in the normal way that the Jews would execute somebody, that was by stoning. Their method of execution was stoning. But according to the Bible prophecies, Jesus, the Messiah, isn't going to be stoned. He's actually going to be, it says in the Old Testament, lifted up. That's crucifixion. So, unwittingly in a sense, they fulfil the prophecy. So they come to Pilate, John gives us more detail in John chapter 18. The Sanhedrin are there, they're all committed to the death of Jesus. Jewish law did require, as I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago, a 24 hour period before the execution could take place. Um, they did that so that perhaps there might be some new evidence. They ignore that completely, they're not interested in any new evidence, they just want him dead. So the final public trial was somewhere after 5 o'clock. Jesus would be on the cross by 9 o'clock in the morning. It was also around this time that Judas began to feel remorse according to Matthew chapter 27 verse 1 to 10. He went back to the Sanhedrin, he threw the money down and says, I betrayed innocent blood. And he rushed out and he tried to hang himself. I say try to hang himself because it didn't quite work, although he did commit suicide because the branch or, or the rope or something broke and he fell down and he was dashed on the rocks below. Anyway, we now come to phase one of the Gentile trial before, Jesus, uh, before Pilate. We've had the Jewish trial, now we get the Gentile, the Roman trial. Now Pilate, as you see here, and um, we see in John 19 verse 10 for example, he had a very elevated opinion of his own power. He says to Jesus, don't you know, I have the authority over you, I can do anything I want to you, he says to Jesus. 
that, that really condemns Pilate but he had a real elevated view of his own power because Jesus then says you have no authority over me at all unless it's been given to you from on high so Pilate says you know I can do what I want to you Jesus and Jesus says no you can't you can only do what God has decided that you're going to do it's not about you Pilate you don't have the authority but Pilate from his own vantage point he thinks he has the power he thinks he has the destiny of Jesus in his hands which is ironic because actually Jesus has his destiny in his hands no earthly power can determine the destiny of Jesus but every soul's destiny is actually determined by what they do with Jesus back to that question what do I do with this man Jesus your destiny determines on what you answer to that question so Jesus is in Pilate's judgment hall somewhere between 5 and 6 in the morning all of this now begins to happen very quickly these places were very close together John 18 gives us a little bit more detail it says they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium and it was early and they themselves did not enter the praetorium so that they would not defile themselves before eating the Passover the praetorium is where the Romans were now Jews wouldn't go into that because it's Gentile territory so how hypocritical of them they all stand outside and they let Jesus go in and they don't want to go in because they might defile themselves and then they won't be very religious but at the same time they're trying to kill the son of God I mean how's that for hypocrisy they don't want to defile themselves by going into this Gentile territory but they're quite happy to kill Jesus and he's done nothing wrong so Pilate has to come out because they won't go in and he says what accusation do you bring against this man that's a legal question Pilate's now acting as judge he's the final court of appeal in Rome but they don't want Pilate to be a judge they just want Pilate to be an executioner they don't want any questions like this to be asked so they just rather arrogantly say in verse 30 if this man were not an evildoer we wouldn't have delivered him to you in other words who are you to distrust us we are the religious leaders of Israel you can't question us we wouldn't have brought him if he hadn't done something wrong I mean that's a total cop out in other words we can't think of anything so we're not going to say but you're just going to have to trust us on this because we're respectable religious leaders and how dare you question us but we're not going to tell you really because we haven't got anything now Pilate was full aware of Jesus he'd been aware of Jesus for some time he knew what had happened that week remember Jesus had rode in Jerusalem on the Monday all the people are shouting Hosanna to the son of David Pilate's responsibility was security in Jerusalem so when Jesus and that huge crowd were there he'd have known what was going on because he'd have, had, have Romans out there just to make sure that nothing happened Romans were the ones who were also in the Garden of Gethsemane permission for that would have had to have been granted from Pilate so those Romans that went to arrest Jesus they were sent there by Pilate so he knew Jesus he knew what was going on he knew also that it was a blatant miscarriage of justice and he says in verse 31 take him yourselves and judge him according to your law now what he's doing there he's giving them permission to execute Jesus as I've said sometimes the Romans would turn a blind eye and let the Jews kill somebody if it was a religious issue and, and that's what Pilate's saying there he doesn't want the responsibility he said you do it judge him according to your law he gives them permission to execute but they say again totally hypocritical we're not permitted to put anyone to death 
Well, they did when it suited them, but they don't want to in this particular case because they want to become a very legal, very righteous. They don't want the responsibility of killing Jesus themselves. They're worried about the crowds. They're thinking about the implications. They're thinking about the, the repercussions. They want Rome to kill Jesus, which would let them off the hook if there's any comeback from the crowds. So they've got to give Pilate some reason for executing him. And Luke chapter 23 verse 2 comes in at this point. So they make three accusations. Now notice, they've totally changed the accusation. Their accusation has been blasphemy. But they know full well that's not going to work with the Romans because the Romans don't agree with their God. The Romans don't care if he's blasphemed. The Romans don't believe in the one true God. The Romans had loads of gods. So they can't go to Pilate and say, he's committed blasphemy. Because Pilate will say, so what? I don't, I don't even believe in your God. So they've got to come up with some crimes that will actually annoy the Romans. So they say, he's perverting our nation, he's forbidding to pay taxes, and he's claiming to be king. Three charges. All false. All lies. First of all, he didn't pervert the nation, they did. Secondly, he didn't forbid taxes, he actually told people to pay their taxes and he even paid his own taxes. And yes, he did claim to be king, but he said, it's, I'm not a king of this world, it's not the kingdom that you're thinking of. He said that to Pilate. But notice, it says in verse 31 in Luke chapter 23, we're not permitted to put anyone to death. And then it says this was to fulfill the words of Jesus which he spoke signifying what kind of death he was about to die. And what kind of death, as I've already said, he would be, John 12 verse 32 to 33 says, I will be lifted up. It's a prophecy where he's lifted up. Crucifixion. The opposite of stoning where you're knocked down. This is different. Lifted up. Let's now go back to Mark 15. Pilate then questioned him, are you the king of the Jews? He just ignores the first accusations perverting the nation said to the people you know don't pay your taxes he just ignored that apparently he's, he's sort of fascinated by the third one so he says are you the king of the Jews of course he's looking at Jesus as he stood there and he's really asking in scorn because there's nothing when you look at Jesus particularly now that made him look like a king of any description Remember his condition, he's there in his garment, he's stained, the sweat and blood, he's, his face is battered, he's bruised from punches and slaps and spit all over his face, he did not look like a king. So Pilate mockingly almost says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, it is as you say. This was a legitimate question, so Jesus gives a legitimate answer. He doesn't answer anything else, but he answers this. John's Gospel continues. Pilate entered into the praetorium. He summoned Jesus. He got him inside. He said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? Pilate said, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priest delivered me, you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said, So you are a king. Jesus said, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he heard this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in this man. Let's go back to Mark's Gospel again. 
When Pilate says, I find no guilt in this man, the chief priests start to hurl abuse again at Jesus, accusing him of all sorts of things. We read in Matthew 27, verse 12 to 14, that while he was being accused, though Jesus didn't even reply. He never said a word. He didn't say anything. He didn't try to defend himself. He didn't answer a word to, to any of them. He answered Pilate's legitimate question, Yes, you're correct. I am a king. I am the king. But when the crowd began to scream and accuse him, he just remained silent. So Pilate begins to question him again. Don't you answer? You know, what about all these charges that are bringing against you? The Sanhedrin is throwing all these charges. Again, silence. What was Pilate now going to do? Pilate's in a tough spot because he knows full well that Jesus is innocent. And Pilate is not a good man, really. But he does have a sense of justice. He's a Roman. He's in charge. He's responsible for doing the right thing when somebody's brought before a court. And he doesn't like the idea that these Jews, and he hates Jews, really, are coming to him and telling him what to do. He doesn't like that. And he doesn't like the fact that this man is innocent. And he doesn't want to be involved in this. So in verses 5 and 6, we see that something else happens. Actually, it's between verses 5 and 6. It's in Luke 23, verse 7. What Pilate then does, he sends Jesus to Herod. Because he found out that Jesus was from the north. He was a Galilean. And Herod had jurisdiction in the north. Which brings us to the second phase of the trial. Pilate decided, well, Jesus is from Galilee. That's Herod's jurisdiction. He can have him. And there's a bit of a cop-out again from Pilate. So he sends him to Herod. Now Herod was one of the sons of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one who was there at the birth of Jesus, who killed the babies and so on. Herod the Great had previously ruled all Israel. This is one of his sons. This is a son who is sort of, he's not really ruling, but the Romans have put him in charge of the north of Israel. His name is Herod Antipas. He ruled for quite a long time actually, 40 plus years, 4 BC to 39 AD. And he ruled like all the Herods under really, it's what you call a vassal of Rome. This Herod was not a good man. He he'd married the daughter of Aretas, the king of Nabatea, and then he decided to divorce her and he stole the wife of his own half-brother Philip. And this was when John the Baptist spoke up and said, no that's wrong and that's how John the Baptist had his head removed. So this Herod is not a nice man, he's a wicked man. But he had heard about Jesus, according to Mark chapter 6. But he was a bit afraid, because he thought, hang on, I wonder if this Jesus, I mean he's doing amazing things, he's doing all these miracles, I wonder if he's John the Baptist come back from the dead. Which is a bit of a silly thing to think, but that's what Herod thought. And he was a bit worried. He thought, hang on, I, I killed John the Baptist, has he come back now to get revenge on me? This miracle man, this preacher, he's preaching the same as John, it might be him. And then we also find out, it says Herod was very glad though when he saw Jesus, for he wanted to see him for a long time, because he'd been hearing about him and hoping to see some signs performed by him. So as well as wanting to see Jesus to make sure he wasn't John the Baptist, that was his first thought, he also thought, hey, I might get to see something exciting here, I might get to see some miracles, this might be interesting. Let's, you know, bring him here, let's have a look. Of course, he questions Jesus at some length, and Jesus says nothing. He doesn't even answer him. And the chief priests and the scribes, 
they'd followed Jesus to Herod and they're all accusing him it says and Herod and his soldiers after treating him with contempt mocking him dressing him in a gorgeous robe and sending back to Pilate now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another from that day for up until now they'd been enemies Herod when he finally met Jesus he didn't get his miracles he wasn't impressed he thinks it's all a joke this beleaguered man and he concludes well this Jesus he's no threat to anyone Jesus didn't even answer him the only time he answered any questions was when there were legitimate questions when the Sanhedrin asked him a legitimate question he answered yes I am the Messiah when Pilate asked him a legitimate question he said yes I am a king but not the way that you think but he says nothing to defend himself and the chief priests and the scribes are really getting upset now they're really starting to get frustrated so Herod he wants nothing to do with him so he said you know, go back to Pilate you know, I'm not getting anything from him I don't get my miracles he's not John the Baptist I can see that now send him back then we get that strange comment in verse 12 and they'd been enemies now they became friends you might wonder why were they enemies and why they're now friends well we know why because of history Philo the historian says that um, sometime before this Pilate had put shields with Caesar's image in Herod's palace and the Jews believed that these were idols because um, Caesar was considered a god by the Romans and they were very upset and they sent a message to Tiberius Caesar who was the emperor that Pilate had set up these idols in the city and the Caesar Tiberius said Pilate take him down Pilate really hated that and he blamed Herod for that he thought this is Herod's fault because Herod wouldn't have done that but why does he now send him to Herod well it's a bit of a cop out he's sort of passing the book but he's also wanting to confirm Jesus innocence he wanted to Herod to say well I agree this man hasn't done anything and that's essentially what Herod did he sent him back with any kind of sentence of course from God's viewpoint and this is interesting this is a second witness by people who hated Jesus to the innocence of Jesus it says in Deuteronomy 19 verse 15 you have to have at least two witnesses you've got them Pilate says he's innocent Herod said he's innocent so Jesus goes now back to Pilate which takes us back to Mark 15 verse 6 Pilate the governor of Israel he, he also ruled for a, quite a while um, 26 to 36 AD at least 10 years which is a long time for governors and he had a number of responsibilities he commanded the Roman military he collected the taxes and very importantly for this matter he judged all matters that needed to be judged so he was a military administrative and he was also a judge he also approved the high priest in Israel but he was hated by the Jews for a number of things apart from putting idols up in this building but he interestingly declares and repeatedly declares that Jesus was innocent three times at least he says Jesus is innocent he didn't get to that position by not having a sense of justice obviously he did have a sense of justice he wanted to maintain legal ground he wanted to do what was right Jesus was not a threat to him Jesus was not a threat to Rome but there was a threat to this man Pilate who was really a coward the threat that Pilate saw were the Jewish people he was terrified of them rising up on his first visit to Jerusalem he came wanting to make a big show and show off and say look I'm Pilate so he came into Jerusalem carrying banners and standards with busts of Caesar on them 
and an eagle. Remember, Caesar was considered a god. The Jews looked at this and they thought, well, that, no, that's idolatry. We don't want that in Jerusalem. All the previous governors have sensibly avoided doing such things. But Pilate, he was very brash, he was very bold, a very proud man. And he said, no, I'm not going to remove my banners. He returned from Jerusalem with his banners. The people followed him and harassed him for five days to remove the idols. Finally, he said to them, I'll meet you in the amphitheatre in Caesarea. So they all went there and he surrounded them all with Roman soldiers and he said, right, if you don't stop doing this, I'm going to kill you all. The Jews then pulled the collars down and said, go on then, kill us. And he backed down. They called his bluff and he then had to remove the images. He also got into trouble with them again because the Jerusalem water supply was very inadequate. So he thought, well, I'll, I'll appease the people and I'll build an aqueduct. The trouble was he took money out of the Jewish temple and he used that to build the aqueduct. That really upset the Jewish people. There was a big riot. He clubbed and stabbed many of the people to death, or at least the soldiers did. This just added to their hatred. And when he was in Jerusalem, he lived in the Herodian palace. That's where they put the shields up. So in Luke, 1, uh, Luke 13, I should say, 1 to 5, we see the Pilate sent some of his men into the temple. Some Jewish people were making a sacrifice and he killed them. He, he was doing things all the time that really infuriated the Jews. They really hated him. Eventually, this man Pilate was called back to Rome in AD 36. He was exiled to Gaul and he committed suicide according to Josephus. He killed himself. This is interesting. But he is, at this point, in a very precarious place. He knows that Jesus is innocent but he's afraid of the people. He doesn't want to upset the Jewish people. And they even remind him, they say, we'll tell Caesar if you don't do what we want you to do, basically. You're no friend of Caesar unless you get this man Jesus and you kill him. Trying to hang on to justice, he makes an appeal which is recorded in Luke 23. He says to them, you brought this man to me as one who incites people to rebellion. Behold, having examined him, I find no guilt. No guilt regarding the charges which you make against him, nor as Herod. He sent him back to me. Behold, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. I will punish him and release him. What for? You've just said he didn't do anything. This is the sort of man he was. He's done nothing, but I tell you what, I'll punish him and then I'll release him. And by the way, in these days, punishment was harsh. That meant scourging, which quite often could kill you. Back to Mark 15. At the feast, though, we find he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. It's Passover time. And he's allowed, at this point, at Passover time, to let somebody go that's been accused and been brought to justice. This was one way to, to conciliate with these people. Sort of an amnesty for one prisoner, and it was always of the people's choice. Ancient sources say that this was a provision of goodwill that the Roman governors did in, in many places. So they didn't just do this in Jerusalem. And Pilate thought, right, I've got a way out here, really. I'm pretty sure that if I ask the people, should I release Jesus? They're bound to let him go because he's a miracle worker. He's been feeding them. He's been raising the dead. He's been doing amazing things for them. And they've only just proclaimed a Messiah as he rode into Jerusalem. He's bound to let, they're bound to let him go. So Pilate, he's finished with the Sanhedrin, he now thinks, I'll turn to the people. This is a way out for me. They've just hailed him as king, they're bound to choose him. 
And what does Pilate get? He gets Barabbas as an option. He thinks, I'll, I'll pick the worst one I can find. They're bound to pick Jesus because he's the great miracle worker, he's wonderful, and they're bound not to pick Barabbas because he's an insurrectionist, he's a robber, and he's a murderer. They're bound, they won't pick Barabbas, it's not going to happen. Incidentally, Barabbas means son of the father. Abba is father, Bar is son of, which is interesting. This human son of a human father is offered in the place of the divine son of the divine father. Now Barabbas is the one who should have been on the middle cross with the other two criminals. That was the plan up until now. There were going to be crucifixions, it was going to be Barabbas in the middle. Pilate's thinking, I've got a way out. So he says, okay, do you want me to release Jesus or Barabbas? Do you want me to release, more specifically he says, the king of the Jews and there's a bit more scorn in that it's also a dig at the religious leaders history records that this man Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent so he gives them this choice Barabbas or Jesus expecting the answer oh yeah Jesus obviously I mean, he's, look at what he's done he's great he's done all this and we, we've just hailed him as the Messiah as he rode into Jerusalem and also we see he was well aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. They were jealous of Jesus. Pilate knew that. However, the chief priests, the elders, they persuaded the crowds. They, they got in amongst the crowds. Release Barabbas. Release Barabbas. Now, the people revered the religious leaders. So if the religious leaders are there saying to them, release Barabbas, the people are going to listen. And they did. The Sanhedrin was moving in the crowd, or more specifically, it was actually Satan moving in the crowd, using these religious leaders. And the crowd are persuaded, release Barabbas. And they say to Pilate, Barabbas. And Pilate said, who do you want? Barabbas. He's shocked when they say that. He, he really can't understand that. Let the guilty live. Let the sinless one be killed. Treat the guilty as innocent. Treat the innocent as guilty. They rendered their verdict on Jesus. Actually, Jesus is rendering their ver his verdict on them. Luke says, Pilate, wanting to still release Jesus, asked the crowd again, Okay, so what do you want me to do with the king of the Jews? And they shout, Crucify him. And Pilate, at this point in verse 14, is incredulous. He says, Why? What's he done? Why would you seriously want to release Barabbas, who definitely has murdered people, he's an insurrectionist, he's been stealing from you, why would you want to release him and kill Jesus when he's done nothing? And as well as that, he's been feeding you, he's been doing all these miracles, why? This is another declaration of innocence. But the crowd's relentless, crucify him. That is so terrible, you can't imagine it. Remember, they're all there, it's Passover. They're there to worship God. They've come because of the Passover, because they want to honour God. This was the high point of the year for them, as far as worshipping God is concerned. They've brought their sacrifices, they want to show their obedience to God, they're remembering God and his goodness. But at the same time, they're saying, kill his son, kill the son of God. Well, Pilate's now finished, he's, he's really collapsing under the threat. And then we get the very sad epitaph of Pilate in verse 15. Wishing to satisfy the crowd. Pilate was the man who wished to satisfy the crowd. Rather than do what he knew and had already declared three times to be right. He just wants to pacify the crowd. He'd rather do something to keep everyone happy than to actually do something that's right. So he releases Barabbas. 
and he has Jesus scourged and he hands him over to be crucified as I've already said I, I think it's interesting that like Judas Pilate committed suicide legend says that after he committed suicide his body was taken and thrown into the river Tiber that's the river that runs through Rome but when the body hit the water it became so disturbed that the body was removed and taken to Vienna and thrown in the river Rhone there's a monument still there today titled Pilate's Tomb but the Rome according to another legend rejected his corpse and it was removed and thrown into the Lake Lucerne in Switzerland but then they didn't really want it there either so they took it from the lake and they buried it in a mountain near Lucerne of course that's all legend I don't know if that's true or not but the truth is that Pilate killed himself his body decayed and his soul is forever in hell because he rejected Jesus Matthew says the screams for Jesus to be crucified were so strong and so relentless Matthew 27 verse 24 that the Pilate feared a riot and then we get the ominous statement in the next verse verse 25 in Matthew 27 and all the people said his blood be on us and on our children his blood be on us and on all our children they took full responsibility for murdering Jesus little wonder that God destroyed that city and that nation in AD 70 his blood be on us Pilate scourged Jesus as I said people often died from the scourging but he didn't he went then to be crucified but he came out again and he said behold I'm bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe the soldiers had put on him in mockery and Pilate said behold the man echo Homer uh, take a look at him surely this is enough so when the chief priests and officers saw him they cried crucify him crucify him and Pilate then said take him yourself and crucify him I find no guilt in him and then the Jewish people said we have a law and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God he has to die because he said he's God when Pilate heard that he was even more afraid that's when he went back in and he said where are you from Jesus gave no answer and Pilate said why don't you speak to me don't you know I have the authority to release you and also the authority to crucify you and that's when Jesus said you have no authority over me unless it's been given to you Pilate wanted to release him but the Jews then said if you release this man you are no friend of Caesar everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar now Pilate's worried again he took him out and he said behold your king they said crucify him and then again he said shall I crucify your king and finally they said we have no king but Caesar so he handed him over to be crucified how hypocritical was that they hated Caesar but they're willing to say here oh just to get Jesus killed we have no king but Caesar how could all this happen well one answer is that mankind is so totally corrupt and wretched that's what people do they're horrible the other answer is because God is so totally merciful because here we see the worst of people but the best of God and we see in Isaiah 53 he was bruised for our iniquities Jesus died for you that's what was going on here he took your place on the cross and if you accept him as Lord and Saviour he takes your sin he gives you his righteousness and he restores that relationship with God that you were created to have in the first place that's why all of this happened for you 
Let's come to God in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have shown us exactly what happened, how Jesus, being totally innocent, the only righteous man who's ever lived, went to that cross, was beaten, was scourged, was crucified. But as we'll be seeing as we get closer to Easter, he rose again on the third day. We thank you that we know this to be true, but help us to proclaim that truth, particularly as Easter draws nearer, to tell the world about the truth of what really went on 2,000 years ago at that Passover time in Jerusalem. Thank you, Father. Amen.